Shantanu, welcome back. Yes, back again. Yes, uh, it was really nice to know about your initial journey and the lovely upbringing that you've had, you know, and, and fortunate upbringing. So, yep. uh, I'm sure a lot of listeners will be inspired by your philosophy and uh, your approach towards not just work, but towards life. Yes, that's the idea. Hope. Yeah. So, uh, we have a lot of viewers who sent in questions. We filtered them. All right. Uh, so, I'll just read out the question to you and then you can give your reply. Sure, sure. So, we have one person who's asked, how do you make musicians feel comfortable in the studio and why is that important? Well, uh, there are many ways to make a musician comfortable. And the first way is by welcoming him like he is the most important person in the room and it's about him or her and it's not about you. So, you know, because in the end, if your musician or your band or your artist is not going to be comfortable and not going to be happy uh, in, in the environment, which anyway, a recording studio is, is a daunting environment, he's not going to be able to perform uh, or she is not going to be able to perform to the best of his or her abilities. And uh, if that's not going to happen, you're not going to be able to be able to catch a good performance and which is going to make your recording um, not be good. And it's not going to show the artist in his or her true light and which is basically a failed process. So, uh, that's the reason why an artist must feel comfortable in the environment he or she is in. And the way you make it feel comfortable is to make them feel that they are the most important person in the world at that point of time. And you are just there as an assist and to help. You'll be surprised. You know, you could be working with maestros and but walking into a studio is a very, very uh, foreboding kind of place to most people. So uh, when, when it actually is supposed to be a creative environment. So you have to bring that vibe. And there are so many ways to do it. But the first way to do it is actually to make the artist feel at home, you know, uh, make them feel that they are the most important people in the world, because in the end, you are there to record them. You are not here to show off your skills. Your skills are there to make someone else look good. And that's when you look good. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a very, very symbiotic process. So you make your artist feel really important. The, the moment the artist feels comfortable uh, in, in the surroundings, you know, walk your artist through the place, uh, uh, you know, explain to him the technology that you will be using most of them will know what's going to be happening but it's just reassure them that you know this is and I'm obviously talking if you're going to be working with that artist for the first time you know if I worked with them before they already know so it's not really a problem so it's usually with the artist for, uh, uh, working with an artist for the first time and it really doesn't matter whether that artist is junior or senior it could be a debutante artist as well and it is your duty uh, to make that debutante artist feel like he or she is a veteran uh, of, of, of the environment so uh, you know you just have to bring that to the table uh, there are I, I wouldn't say there's any one specific way but just by talking and being polite and by being gracious and by making them feel important and that we are there to help you out and uh, no other thing and uh, we just hope that uh, you know they can go back with the best possible performance that they are capable of bringing on that day so there's no real trick to it it's just your people's skills, which you develop over a period of time. Uh, thankfully, I had that when I was growing up again, uh, you know, of how of being able to be uh, social uh, uh, and being, uh, you know, being able to be in a social environment and, uh, uh, you know, being, being humble, being gracious, uh, and at the same time, holding your own is what is uh, you know is respected uh, not just amongst your peers and friends and family but amongst your clients as well so you just got to bring that to the table that answers a lot uh, shantanu how important is it for an audio engineer to be patient and in what situations does this you know kind of get tested that I'm, am i really patient or not well you know Patience is the key, you know, because forget about being an audio engineer, you know, I find 
uh, today's kids, uh, you know, the fact of instant gratification is really a lack of patience. You know, they want to achieve too many things too soon, and which is exactly uh, what happens in the studio. You know, there is a certain uh, amount of skill that is involved. You have to accept the fact that there will be certain uh, uh, people walk in, walking into your room on studio who won't be as skilled as you would expect them to be, and but they're there. Uh, and you have to make them feel important and make them feel wanted and make them feel good because within their limitations, they still have to be able to perform. So, uh, well, you know, you just got to be patient and you, you, you don't have a choice because uh, let me tell you something. If, if, if you're not patient and you get angsty and you get snappy and you get irritable, that expression shows off onto the artist. And trust me, OK, you'll do it. That, that artist is not going to come back to you again. And that is a lesson to be learned because you know what makes a good engineer is not just your recording skills but the first people wanting to work only with you who will repeat clients is is your biggest uh, you know asset that you have for a studio that you're going to be working with and that keeps your studio management happy as well so you know patience is plays an important game you know you might have because people right now they just want everything to be done fast you know uh, let's record this fast. Let's do this fast. Let's do this edit quickly. So everyone wants it quickly. You know, they think digital is going to make things quicker. Actually, digital does make it quicker, but it also gives it, it what it enables people to, you know, hit command Z. And, uh, you know, there is undo. When we were, uh, uh, we started off and this is where this has been ingrained in our heads, you know, there was no room for error. You know, you couldn't make mistakes. So, in order not to make mistakes, you did a lot of pre-production. You did a lot of homework. You did everything carefully. You did everything systematically. And when you do all of that, all that takes time. So that is patience too. And all that process before you actually get to hit the record button is actually your patience and which is going to stand you in good stead when you're actually going to be recording. Because then after that, if you've got your pre-production and your basics right, which is what I said in my interview, I think you know, 12 years ago, whatever that was, uh, um, it's uh, getting your basics right. So the moment you have your principles and fundamentals right and correct, uh, you know the rest of the process is going to be absolutely smooth and fine. And and that is also a form of patience which needs to be inculcated. You know, uh, gone are the days when you know we had people still say, you know, Shatru, you take your time. I said, yeah, that's why it sounds good, right? So it's as simple as that. You know, I'll take time to make sure that the mic microphone is placed just precisely because moving a microphone a centimeter here and there makes a huge difference in sound. You know, it's not, it's, I won't correct it in the mix because if I don't have to correct it in the mix, I might as well get it right in the recording. And which gives me that, you know, how much and how much more time am I taking? You know, I'm, I'm just walking into a dubbing room and just moving a microphone here, you know, it'll just take me a couple of minutes more. You know, are those minutes going to change your life? Is it going to make it a hit single or not a hit single? Uh, so it really doesn't matter. You know, do it right, do it well. Obviously, don't waste time and don't be a slowpoke, you know, and just be fidgety and uh, definitely what you should not be doing is show that you in two minds you know be very confident with what you're doing even if you're going to do it wrong do it confidently you know <laughs> so yeah patience is key to everything not just it's as an audio engineer but to all forms in life you know to everyday life as well very true and i think we are losing a lot of it oh it's gone i would say losing gone you know have lost it you know instant gratification you know today i want today i've come out of recording engineering school tomorrow i want to be chief engineer at yrf right yeah <laughs> okay so uh, the next question is shantanu how can one train his or her ears you know to uh, towards understanding eq compression etc to understand a mix better basically good sound it's just listening to well recorded music in good formats, you know, uh, people keep talking about MP3, MP3, MP3. Well, you know, uh, MP3 is a format. It was it was devised for a particular purpose. It was never meant to be an audio reference. Uh, unfortunately, it became one, and then that became your standard. So that exactly is what ear training has proved wrong. You know, people have gotten so used to that ear, that MP3 sound, that anything else that happens to them sounds weird. So 
you can see that the sound has gotten thinner, the sound is, the width has gotten smaller, the reproductional values are not as good. So all I say is listen to well-recorded good music. And I dare say, unfortunately, I cannot give you any example of Bollywood, including what I did, uh, as, as something that you could say, okay, you know, use this as an example. Uh, you know, go follow the masters of the craft, uh, talk to me, I will tell you what to listen to, uh, you know, tune yourself into, you know, this is the way a well, a good sounding mix sounds. Uh, this is a way a good sounding, you know, electric or acoustic guitar sounds. There are so many, so many examples available to us at high resolution formats. The more you listen to that, the more that gets imbibed and, and in, uh, you know, imprinted into your brain. I keep saying that, you know, every sonic uh, a perception or oral stimulant that you have needs to be imprinted in your brain, not just to show you good, but also to show you what's bad. Because it's the, the, the ability to be able to differentiate between good, average, and bad is very, very essential for you have to have heard the whole range and spectrum. So uh, uh, it is very, very important to ear train. And by ear training, you know, I dare say, uh, you know, phones and laptop speakers is not the best medium for you to make a judgment call. Uh, neither are some of these uh, headphones that are available to you. And uh, sadly, uh, because the format that you're listening to is not the best of resolutions, uh, uh, obviously, uh, you know, vinyl has gone out of style and right now it's just audiophile stuff. Uh, but a CD through a regular system is probably still, you know, even if through a boombox, is still better ear training than listening to music off your phone and through pods. So, you know, listen to proper formats, listen to the real thing. You know, uh, it doesn't really matter what speakers you listen to. You know, a good sounding recording will sound great out of any speakers. It really does. And at the same time, you play a shitty recording, it's going to sound shitty even out of Hi-Fi Pro Audio speakers. So, you know, that should be able to tell you a difference. And the ability to be able to differentiate between good and bad and excellent needs to be there. So, therefore, you need to know what excellent also is. And that needs to be your yardstick. I, I spoke in part one about yardstick and benchmarks. This is your benchmark. This is your yardstick. Listen to the great recordings, uh, not just of the past, but there are many great recordings that are available today. Listen to that. If you don't know where, you know, call me, message me. Uh, you know, send me a, a post on uh, Facebook or Instagram or whatever it is, you know, and not just me, you know, there are enough of my colleagues and uh, my peers uh, who are willing to help you out. Uh, you know, people might just say, oh, you know, your generation and stuff like that. Well, you know, I listen to a lot of music, you know, a lot of young kids also listen to, uh, you know, so uh, I'm, I'm very well in tune with that uh, as well. And I appreciate a lot of the stuff that is good. I also know that there's a lot of shit out there and uh, it's the ability to be able to siphon out is what then actually trains your ears. And then the moment your ears feel a particular way, it becomes, you know, second nature to you. And then you start reproducing that in your own work and the own sounds that you actually sit down to make. True. Thank you so much for that advice and guidance. And uh, the next question we have is, you have worked with a lot of uh, Bollywood composers who send you like, 150, 200 plus tracks. So how do you manage them? How do you incorporate your console and outboard gear while mixing such sessions? Well, first of all, uh, you know, I can't, I can't stop people sending me stuff. And, uh, um, well, it's, it's, I wouldn't say it's a trade secret, but you know, a lot of the times I'll, I'll, I'll go through the tracks and, uh, almost, you know, 40% of those tracks are rubbish tracks, uh, which uh, I would probably mute uh, and not even use um, as part of the mix. So that makes things simpler. So I'll, you know, you know, mute, unmute, see if it makes any kind of oral difference to me, whether it's accentuating something or highlighting a part or not. Uh, 
and 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 take a creative decision at that point of time so those kind of things are very instinctive that come to me so you know getting a session which has 200 odd tracks in it is not really a problem it, it is annoying and it is time consuming because uh, you know instead of being able to start mixing and making the Uh, you know the song uh, listenable uh, you, you know a lot of your time is wasted and it causes a lot of fatigue to be hearing rubbish and to be then going through each particular phrase and seeing whether it's necessary or not necessary or uh, whether it's recorded well or not recorded well whether it needs to be there or doesn't need to be there and obviously you have a rough mix or a ref mix which the, the, your music director has sent you so you immediately get to know whether that part is essential or not essential or whether it's doing nothing uh, so uh, yeah you know it's it's a creative call uh, but unfortunately it gets laborious and you know uh, probably a full day goes out in just cleaning up the tracks and uh, uh, which is what i tell most recording engineers you know uh, be systematic you know i know you got a computer to work with and you've got different you know dos to work with uh, but you you still need to follow the old school of uh, analog method of being able to name each track you know don't just call it audio 1 audio 2 audio 3 audio 4 it's it's a mind fuck uh, you know uh, to go through a track which has 150 tracks just called audio 1 to 154 tracks you know call it you know call it uh, you know don't talk, don't call it pad 1 2 pad 3 pad 4 pad 5. just right you know maybe pad chorus pad pad whatever stratosphere or whatever you want to call it you know be specific about it so you know your mix engineer who's not familiar with the track immediately can go to that particular section of course you can see the waveform but sometimes you have something layered from beginning to the end and you're wondering what the fuck is going on so uh, you know it's just a question of you know in the old days how we used to do, we used to have a track list which we used to uh, you know systematically laboriously write down you know and because we had limited track counts in those days uh, you know you had to squeeze a lot of things onto one particular track you know on uh, you know you might have a bell you might have a hit you might have suddenly one guitar strum or something all happening on one track so you had to you know put in put in very specific you know time code as to okay at time code this i got a bell at at at, at this point on beat number 2 i got this happening so you know we were very very aware as to what was there and if we were not record mixing the track you know and this that track went to someone else the other engineer didn't have that fucking nightmare of having oh fuck where the fuck did that come from and you're trying to figure it out and uh, this is the biggest problem that we face nowadays because uh, the tracks come to us in pathetic uh, condition and uh, so things have started improving and uh, i hope they continue to improve and to uh, that tracks start coming at better uh, better uh, labeled and stuff like that uh, and not unnecessary stuff and if you feel like you know if you got eight kick drums for example for god's sake don't send me eight kick drum tracks you know at your end itself instead of me having to go through each fucking kick drum and see whether it's required or not you just do a internal bounce because obviously you're hearing all those eight kick drum tracks as one kick drum you're not hearing it as individual kick drums that would be stupid so you know just bounce that down onto one uh, kick drum track and uh, give that to me as one kick drum so you already have a inbuilt premix happening of the kick drum that you sent me makes life so much simpler and let's be concentrate on the actual mixing instead of just being you know uh, you know garbage clean Right. Yeah. So, uh, speaking of uh, mixing, there's a question that says, "What is your approach in mixing low end?" Well, uh, I, I, it's a bit of an uh, ambiguous question because it depends what 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 do you mean by low end? You know, it's uh, if you if if I had to break it down to basics of a basic band, uh, let's say it like. you have rhythm you have bass you have guitars you have keyboards you have vocals and so obviously you got to feel enough of kick drum uh, the bottom end on the kick drum uh, you know what are the fundamental frequencies of a kick drum what are the fundamental frequencies of the bass guitar uh, by adding actual frequencies as such uh, you're not really adding bottom end because if the bottom end is not there and you're just adding a uh, boosting uh, frequency which isn't really there you're just adding uh, up to the noise floor which is going to muddy 
picked up and uh, which is where your ear training comes into place which is where you know your monitoring comes into place which is where your room comes into place as to how true your room is you know uh, are there any frequencies which are being attenuated are there any frequencies which are being getting getting boosted how are you hearing it where are your monitors placed how is it, how are your monitors placed all those kind of things determine uh, not just low end uh, low end you know everyone seems to concentrate on low end uh, low end is not really a problem uh, with what is there in the track what's there is there you know i i always put it there if you want more bottom end you know use a sample or use an instrument which has more bottom end don't ask me to add a particular frequency when it's not there when it's basically all i'm doing is adding noise to it that's that's my approach it's a very very classical approach uh, so uh, you know a, a lot of things that i do for example when i'm when i'm dealing with uh, you know rock music for example uh, uh, you know i would uh, on on a bass guitar or or on the kick drum you know i decide what stays what re requires more prominence do i want the snap of the kick to be more or do i want the punch and the thump of the bottom end of the kick drum to be more or the kick should the bass be over the kick drum should it be under the kick drum depends on the genre also so those 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 decisions are usually made at the production level but in case it's not then you know i use my experience i use my years to tell me what you know what should be the determining factor of the reference and the balance between kick drum and 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 bass guitar uh, a lot of times uh, what i would do is uh, you know to to have more bottom end of a particular uh, instrument to come out more i would probably cut on the other instrument which is clashing which then it makes it feel that the other instrument the bottom end has been heightened you know for example so for the bass to have more bottom end i would probably take out a little bit of bottom end on the kick drum so i get the impression that there's actually more bottom end so because i'm making sure that those two frequencies of the bass guitar and the kick drum are not really canceling each other out so uh, uh, that's really uh, the my approach to it uh, and a lot of times what i might do uh, uh, but now has pretty much become the norm is uh, I, i love to add a subharmonic uh, a frequency uh, to a bass guitar which is more felt than actually heard uh, but the moment and you probably won't notice it for for an average listener but when you're in actually in the room and you mute the sub frequency and you unmute the sub frequency you can just feel the difference uh, and uh, it's to me it's purely uh, again by feel as to how much do i want of that feel good vibe or is it is it is it uh, you know taking the attention away attention away from the actual uh, uh, rhythmic pattern uh, because a lot of times uh, you know uh, if you do certain things wrong it you know upsets the rhythmic balance uh, not just between drums or rhythm and bass but between internally within the rhythm itself you know what uh, which is why i always believe you know hearing the overhead track in uh, in solo uh, for a drumming uh, for a drum section is you actually get to know you know the balance uh, which uh, uh, which the drummer has played to you know how intense is his kick drum how intense is the snare drum how hard is he hitting the toms and such like that so that internal balance is really really important to uh, maintain uh, and uh, because the drummer has played it that way and uh, 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 but that again is not really that relevant when it comes to commercial pop music or uh, or top 40 kind of music but uh, but when it comes to fusion and rock and roll you know those kind of balances do play uh, do play an important role because those drummers you know you're working with someone like Steve Gadd there's a reason why he's not hit that kick drum that hard you know it's because that's the kind of vibe that he wants if you're working with Jeff Porcaro for example again that's the kind of vibe that you want you know especially uh, you know with ghost notes and things like that uh, on on the snare drum or on the hi hats uh, or what's happening on the kick drum there's a reason why that that dynamic is there and it's important for you to maintain that integrity of the dynamic of the drummer who's played it because he and the rest of the band or the producers felt that that was the correct way you are not god to try and change that so uh, you know keeping low end uh, clean and uh, and uh, you know i would say correct is a matter of ears and uh, is a matter of taste and it's also a matter of common sense uh, 
you know, because again, uh, you know, really low frequencies are omni frequencies. Uh, uh, you know, they don't really have any directionality. So, uh, you know, on smaller systems, you're probably, you know, you probably won't hear it. But on the larger systems, you will hear it and just see whether that's interfering with anything else, because it can be quite annoying to just have a low frequency resonance happening through a beautiful spot, which doesn't really need that kind of accents. Right. So basically, it's better if you talk to the drummer for, in this example that you gave. Uh, oh, yeah. Either, not, just, not the drummer, uh, the, the, the music director or the producer uh, or the arranger, whoever, you know, uh, uh, you use your instinct and to go what you think is right. And then, you know, there is, a well, the, you know, the producer, the arranger or the songwriter, whoever will come back to you, whether, uh, you know, uh, he or she likes it this way or not and whether it matches what their vision that they had in their head if it doesn't you get into a discussion and you try and fix that and uh, sometimes uh, you might be at total opposite ends of the pole but uh, sometimes you just have to find middle ground and uh, the client is always king and he wins and you give him or her what she wants uh, so that he'll come back to you for the next gig true true that's a good approach to keep so yeah. uh, when do you know Okay, I'm done with the mix. This oh, is you it. never, you never know. <laughs> okay, you never know. Either, you never either, have either. that final sound in your head that okay, I've achieved it. Now stop. Yeah, you've always, you've always, you, you, you say yeah, I've achieved it, and then you come back in ten minutes time and say like ah, let me try something else, and then you go <laughs> and then you go and fuck it up. So right. yeah, so you know, uh, someone's got to say you know. So it's very rare that you actually you know keep on. So I, either the budget runs out. So that's when your mix ends or you get tired of it. That's when your mix ends. So, and, and the, the, here's the positive part of it. You know, uh, you know, mix is over when you're going on for it for too long, you know, so either you love that song too much, which means you're now, you're not being objective about it, you know? So, uh, uh, so which means you need to lay off and you need someone else to come in with a fresh set of ears uh, because uh, there has to be an end. And, uh, uh, the moment you have any doubts, you know, call your client in and say like, you know, hey, you know, I think I'm done. What do you think? And either that client will say, great, make these few fixes or he'll say, um, you know, I think you can work on it a little more in these, 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 these parts. And that's it. And it's a it's a very interactive process. So especially in today's commercial world, uh, we don't have the luxuries of being able to mix a song over five days and six days and then, you know, releasing it, reviewing it after six months. You know, uh, I got to mix a song today and it's going to be released in a month's time. And so I don't have those luxuries anymore because uh, earlier on we did have those luxuries, you know, where you could take your time, you know. Oh, let's let's approach this mix again. Let's bring it up. Let's throw up some faders and see what we can do to fuck around, and and see how it goes. And because we had, uh, of course, you know, it things weren't that expensive, and uh, there weren't that many uh, uh, options that were required. You know, you had you had maximum you had forty eight tracks to work with, and that's it. You know, uh, so you you did everything uh, and. That's the best part, you know, uh, when we were starting off, you know, you recorded things so well that your mix really didn't take too much time. You know, the, the, you were recording like you were mixing. And so, you know, when, you, when you're recording everything in its correct perspective and balance, uh, you know, your mix is ready. And, you know, so when you're actually uh, fine-tuning the mix, uh, you know, you're just doing a couple of tweaks here and there and chops there and just adding a little bit of sparkle and magic dust and uh, that's it your mix is done you know so on an average uh, a mix that i do uh, doesn't take me more than well i would i would i would say a, a mix would take me max 12 hours to mix it and i'll spread that over two days i'll spread that over two days so six seven hours one day six seven hours the next day uh, that's 14 hours so well so on, on an average of six, 12 hours, you spread it over two days, it, it's, it's, it's fine. You know, so that's the amount of time. The longer you take about it, you know, you start overthinking and uh, it's never good to overthink about anything. True. So there's a connected question that uh, this person has asked is in an industry where every person thinks he's an audio guru. Okay. Uh, how do you deal with the modification demands and 
what do you do when the modification request suddenly arrives when you've taken down the mix from the console? Well, you don't have a choice. He's, he's your client. He's paying you, right? Yeah. Yeah, you do it. Okay. <laughs> Simple. Simple. Right. Simple. Simple. And, and, and you're getting, if he's asking you to do it for free, of course, then you say, fuck off. Uh, but, uh, you know, he's paying you for it. And, you know, in the end, if that's what he wants and that's what it takes to get the mix off the desk and out into, and he's happy. And the moment he's happy, he's going to come back to you for more. And uh, the moment you start throwing attitude and you start saying, fuck off and I can't do this and I can't do that. Well, he'll tolerate it once. He's not going to tolerate it the second time. He'll go to someone else and say, listen, I'll get it done of someone else. Simple. And you don't, that, you know, you, you, so, and the thing is, you know, you have to realize you're doing a good job yourself. It's not that you're doing a bad job. So whatever you're asking sometimes might be unreasonable or the client might be, you can, you can always talk to the client and say like, listen, you know, I think that's a bit unreasonable, certain things which are achievable, certain things which aren't achievable. And 99.9% .9 of your times, your, your client respects that because you're being honest with them you know you're not just trying to blow smoke up their ass you know uh, that's that's not my job because you're paying me and you're paying me decently to do a good job and that's exactly what i'm going to do i'm going to do a good job to make you happy and if you want certain fixes well i will do it if it's correct if i feel that it's not correct to do certain things i'll talk to my client and that's it. It's, it's, a, it's an interactive process. But uh, in the end, even if it's an unreasonable demand, but you can do it and, it, uh, and uh, you might not like it, but the client thinks, it, I think it's great. And in the end, his name is going out onto it, not my name. Uh, well, uh, too bad. Uh, so be it. You know, he's the client. He's king. He rules and he's paying you for it. So shut the fuck up and get the job done. So that answers a lot of things. Yep. So, uh, the next question is on mastering. So, this person wants to know how can we achieve depth in mastering? Well, you know, honestly, I will not be able to answer that question because I'm not a mastering engineer. Okay. Right. Uh, but your take on mastering in that case, at least your view on mastering as a concept? Well, mastering is important for the simple reason that, uh, you know, it just binds the album together. You know, if you're doing like, let's say there's an album with six songs. Uh, and those six songs are being done by six different engineers and six different studios. Uh, when you play uh, each, uh, when you play the album back to back, all six songs, it seems to, it needs to sound like a cohesive and uh, needs to be glued together, and which is what your mastering engineer will do because there might be one song which might have a little extra sibilance. There might be one song which is a bit muddy uh, in the mid range or in the bottom end or might not be as wide. So your mastering engineer will you'll get a good perspective as to what the album sounds like, uh, should sound like, and uh, he'll make it sound like one cohesive effort. And uh, that's what your mastering engineer should uh, is is doing. If he's going to be start changing the balances, and and changing width and um, all those kind of things, well, you know, you you probably haven't done a good job at the mix itself. So uh, that's all I can say about mastering because. Um, all the mastering that uh, work that for what I get done for all my projects, I work only exclusively uh, with this wonderful mastering engineer by the name of Chris Athens, uh, who used to be, uh, who started off his career with Sony, uh, Sony Music uh, in New York, and then was uh, a senior mastering engineer for almost, uh, well, probably around 15 years with, uh, with Sterling Sound based out of New York. And now he has his own, uh, facility based out of uh, Austin and Texas, uh, Chris Athens Mastering, and one of the fine, fine mastering engineers uh, who I actually believe uh, makes me sound uh, better than I actually am. Uh, but, uh, well, that's the connection that I have with him, and uh, I, I, I'm, I'm, I really believe that uh, if there are any mastering questions, one could reach out to Chris Athens directly. He's on Instagram and on Facebook. Uh, you could search him out and use my name as a reference uh, and he'll gladly answer every question that you may have about mastering. Great. That's very nice of you to help people out and students yeah. out, you know. Yeah. So, uh, Shantanu, now uh, COVID is an excuse for many things. People are saying, you know, I have to work from home. And in our conversation that we did eight years ago, uh, you have emphasized very nicely the, about the importance of recording and recording right. Yeah. Which you also mentioned a few minutes ago here. Yeah. But 
the, given the situation and constraints people have, yeah, how can one get better sound recording at home? It's a very, very valid question, especially in today's COVID nineteen times. Uh, well, let's start off with you need to get if you want to do good recordings. You either get your recording environment at home into proper shape for with by treating your room, most importantly, because your room plays a huge role as to how your microphone is going to react with the source. Okay, uh, or go into a recording studio. Simple, because they the, the, your recording studio has done all the investments for you actually. Uh, and you know, I I don't see it as a problem. You know, uh, if there are certain things you can't do at home, well, go into the recording studio. You know, don't record a drum kit at home just because you can set up eight different mics microphones. That doesn't mean you got you got it all. Uh, most people think, oh, I can do vocals recording at home. And I'll tell you something: you hear some of the vocal recordings which are done in untreated rooms. You can make out the difference. It sounds like shit. So you know. People will say, okay, I'll put up curtains, I'll put up, you know, heavy drapes or do something, you know, that's not going to really cut it because it, you will record it. But is it recorded well? Well, I'm sorry to say so. It hasn't because you, 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 you have not, you have not paid proper attention to, uh, uh, to the room that you're recording in. You, you know, you might be working with a great sound card or an interface or uh, have a powerful uh, computer or, uh, you know, uh, spend some money on a good microphone. Well, your microphone is going to sound is the better the microphone, uh, the worse it's going to sound in in a, in a bad room because it's going to pick up all that shit too. So maybe a bad microphone in in a bad room might probably turn out to be a better uh, way of doing things. Where uh, you know, uh, because a good microphone is not going to be forgiving. A bad microphone. Uh, well, I don't think there's anything like a bad microphone, but uh, uh, not one of the better ones which are known for recording. Uh, if they're used in a not such a good room, um, would probably cut the job and do the job better than a great microphone in a fucked up room. So you got to treat your room. You got to get it acoustically right uh, to be able to do a good recording. And when I say good recording, it's got to be on par with what you would do when you're going into a proper professional recording studio. That's a good recording. Yeah, it's not like will it do? Yeah, sure it'll do. I record in my bathroom, it'll do. I can record over my iPhone, it'll do. But can it really do? Will it be able to cut it? You know, if you if you hit it up in solo and when you're actually mixing it with like superior tracks, well, it's not going to happen. You can fool yourself about it, but it's not going to happen. Right. So I think a uh, lot of uh, people who are doing this will get the message and you know want yeah. to go to a recording studio now that Dude. at least that is possible. Yes. Like a few months ago. Yeah. So at least that can be done because if it's work that is giving you money, it's better to be done professionally and properly. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. Because, you know, you're charging money for it. You better be doing the best job Correct. possible. You know, that's it. You're responsible. That's it. And I, I, I call that accountability. You know? Yeah. yeah. That's it. Yeah. So, Shandun, this brings me to a point which uh, I wouldn't say it is just being asked for creating any kind of a sensation. Mm -hmm. But uh, what are your thoughts on now a trend is coming where music producers are saying, boss, I will only mix and I will only master your track. Kai ko bahar jata hai. Yeah. That is becoming a trend. And not yeah. just in the last six months because of COVID, but over the yeah. last couple of years, like you rightly said. Yeah. What are your thoughts on this that, uh, well, because because they're def in their defense, they're saying, what is there in it? You know, I'm doing a job. I know how it is done. I know, understand EQ. I understand compression. I know how to do it. Just tweak some knobs here and there. It sounds great. It's fine. Why yep. should a sound engineer be involved? Yeah. So what is your... Well, my view is like, fuck it. If they think that, this, that, they, that they don't need you, well, I'm, I, I'm not here to change people's perceptions and I'm not here to teach you what to do, right? So if you think that you can do it all, please go right ahead and do it. Uh, if you were concerned that you're going to be putting a small community out of work, well, that's your karma to deal with, okay? Uh, it's not my karma. So uh, while, uh, you know, I know a lot of musicians who do that, uh, some of them do a great job, some of them don't. And uh, 
that's why no one really asks me because um, you know I will call a spade a spade and and tell it like it is. Um, I wouldn't like to really take names at this point because uh, I'm here to uh, create controversy or to raise eyeballs about anything. But yes, this trend is 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 disturbing. Uh, it's disturbing for the livelihood of the community of engineers at hand. I wouldn't like to really comment as to how good those mixes are because again, if the client is happy with that, well, like I said, it doesn't really matter. The client is happy and he doesn't feel the need for you to go to an engineer. So if your client is happy and your music director, music producer thinks that he can record, mix and master, well, more power to him. And uh, that's it. So uh, I, I don't think, uh, what I think is morally wrong is for the music producer to actually believe that, you know, I can be the jack of all trades and uh, I don't need uh, an en professional engineer to come into it. Well, you know, I think that's being very pompous. I think that's being, uh, uh, I don't think that actually lives up to the traditions and, you know, vows you take as, as a musician. Uh, so, uh, uh, but more power to them if that's what they feel. And, uh, is it disturbing? Yeah, it's disturbing. It's it's cruising all things up, and uh, it's a problem. So, uh, Shantan, I was talking to uh, like you were a senior music producer, and I was we were just discussing on this point that uh, you know now this is what is happening. His take was I've been he's been in the industry for say just like you for about thirty years. He's saying he understands DQ, he understands compression, he understands these terms because he's also worked for three decades, you know, yeah. and seen the analog and digital era. But his thing is, even today, an engineer, when he does something to the track, I say, Are, what did you do? I could not achieve the sound. And his point is that because this engineer has recorded every day every day a new instrument or the uh, a different kind of instruments with different mics that engineer knows his job that is his job yeah. my job is to deliver tracks to him and it is yeah. his job to kind of tweak it absolutely why should i as a music producer take over that was his uh, response absolutely and that that is exactly the way it is you know look at it very simply you know uh, you know michael jackson Quincy Jones, Bruce Swedeen, all three great, great artists uh, working together on one particular album. Michael being so multi-talented could probably play every instrument. He knew every nuance and everything about a console, of a recorder. His own home studio was state of the art, which he used to operate himself. Quincy Jones needs no introduction could probably do everything himself as well. Was also a great producer, great trumpet player, all those things. And then Bruce Swedeen, who's a brilliant engineer at what he does. Let everyone who is good at what they do, do their job. Michael, your job is to write great songs and perform them. Quincy, your job is to produce and make that particular song the best avatar and version of that song. Bruce, you make all of that sound so fucking amazing that everyone is going to say, wow. So all three at the top of their game are doing the best that they possibly can for what they are good at. That is my answer to that question. And this is the best example that I can use. Michael Jackson, Quincy Jones, Bruce Swedeen. You can't beat that combination. You can't just end the best of the best of that particular world. Look at Prince. Prince was a multi-instrumentalist par excellence. His studio, Paisley Park Studios, was probably the finest studios ever built and still in existence. He used to engineer he could engineer everything he record he could record everything he could play every instrument he he knew everything about microphone techniques blah 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 the works he still used an engineer because 
it's really important to have a different set of ears and a different perspective to a particular song that that artist. So if that artist is so self-consumed that he or she thinks that he can do everything himself or herself, well, that is not really a true artist. I dare say is like that artist was borderline on being pompous and being arrogant and arrogance does not belong in music. You know, let me bring in when I want a different opinion. There are a lot of times when I'm mixing and, and no way am I saying am I great or am I, am I some kind of maestro or anything of that sort. But I get tired of something and sometimes I lose perspective. I need another set of years. So I get someone else to come in and listen to it and, you know, offer me advice and tell me like, listen, you know, this is what I feel. And this is exactly why it's important to have different people do jobs that they are good at. You know, it's just a different perspective. And in the end, we are performing and we are doing something that is art. And art is there and it's, and it's there for life. You know, you can't go back and say, oh, I couldn't do this because, well, you've put it out there, right? So that means you've got to be happy with it. You can't go back. There are no excuses. You're not coming back and saying, oh, you know, I didn't have a budget, so I couldn't go to an engineer. I had to do everything myself and make that as an excuse. Hey, man, you wanted to do it. You were pompous enough and you were arrogant enough to think that you knew how to do everything. Well, you know, you dig your own grave. And that's exactly what's going to happen. So do you think this is a very dangerous trend that is being set? Oh, of course, of course. It is, it is, it is a dangerous trend and, 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 it, and it borderlines arrogance. At the same time, it and, it's, and, it's, and it reeks of ignorance. Because a lot of young uh, or uh, people who are you know, going to enter this industry will then make uh, this set as their benchmark. Yeah, absolutely. And, and not look at what happened earlier. Exactly. And that's a precedent that needs to be broken and which is what a lot of us are trying to do in, in, in a way without actually trying to sound aggrieved. Like, hey man, you, you, you know, you're good at what you do. You continue to do what you're good at doing. Let me do what I'm supposed to be good at doing. Don't, don't take my job away from me because everyone needs a gig. And we are all here to help each other out. You know, this is this this we are a community, and the only reason why we can continue to be a community is if we have each other's back. If you're going to be arrogant enough and pompous enough to say, like, I don't fucking need you, well, let me tell you something, man. When the chips are down, you're gonna get fucked and you're gonna get fucked real bad. And it's gonna show somewhere or the other. And believe me, there is one really, really crazy motherfucking sword which is going to hang over your head and that sword's name is karma yeah and that karma will come and get you might not get you this lifetime but it'll come and get you you'll be born as a fucking dirty little rat or a cockroach which no one fucking wants uh, as an analogy i can maybe uh, i don't know if it fits in here but what amazon is doing to people like sudeep audio oh i'll get it on amazon why do i need you exactly but they don't know that when something goes wrong, exactly. who will stand by you? Exactly that. Exactly that. You know, it's all right. You know, I can purchase something from anywhere. But if I want advice, like remember, I'm talking to you about Burl uh, uh, A to D, D to A converters. You know, yeah, when you had Mira and I's recording. Yeah, I could, I could have gone directly to Burl, right? Yeah, but why didn't? Because I know that if something goes wrong, I'm not going to have Mr. Bull going to be sitting down in fucking middle of the night trying to help me out with my fucking problem. I know, I know Aditya is going to help me out with my problem, whatever time of the night it might be. And that is what I need to support. And we are a community, Adi. You, you know that. We are a community. We, 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 we live with each other. We live off each other. And we need each other, you know. Uh, you know, the days of being selfish and the days of being exclusive are gone. I have never, ever believed in exclusivity. I've always believed in inclusivity. And I've always believed the more people who are in it together towards a common goal, the faster you're going to reach it and the stronger you're going to be at the base. Because once you reach the top, the top can be really, really narrow. So you, the stronger the base and the wider the base, there's more room for people at the top. So I really hope that uh, those who are watching this will understand the need of an engineer. I hope and, so. And uh, not use budget as an excuse to say, budget nitha, so I didn't take him, you know. 
Yeah. And this is for the entire community. I speak for the entire community. Absolutely. Yes. And all of us involved, like you said, we are all a, in a way a family, a working family. Where yes, we are. We are. We are helping each other in whatever way we can. And there will be problems because tell me which family does not have arguments with each other. They all do. They're all, there are disagreements, there is, there's laughter, there's crying, there's all emotions within a family. Uh, we are just an extended, uh, extended audio community family and uh, these things and this friction is good. That friction brings about growth, it brings about understanding and that's exactly what we are lacking today and that has to grow. True, I think that is really wonderful advice that you gave you know, to young students who are watching this or you know, even professionals who are watching this. Yeah. And will understand and accept this point of view. Whatever people want, man. I, you're, you're talking to me, you're asking me. I'm giving you my opinion, my perspective. Uh, it's my philosophy. It works for me if it helps change uh, someone else's mindset and, uh, it, and, and that person is successful. Well, that's, that's great. If some people might just debunk my philosophy and my ideology, uh, that's fine too. It's, it's, it's a question of, you know, uh, you know people uh, leaving your egos behind, you know and, and uh, coming towards a common goal, which is uh, basically uplifting yourself uh, as a human being. Being an audio engineer is actually, uh, is, 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 is nothing compared to being a good human being. And that's what one we need to strive to do and to help each other as a community. And the moment we start doing that, being an audio engineer, being a good audio engineer will become that much easier. Superb. So Shantanu, thanks for answering these, uh, some of these questions that we got from the viewers. So cool. uh, I would say this phase of life now is like a freelancer that happened post music room. But with a lot more focus, but with a lot more right. focus uh, in the sense. Uh, so uh, what are your plans? There is only one way, man. Uh, the, uh, and I'm being honest from, from the heart is uh, uh, I have to, there's so many years which I've, you know, given up my life and service for other people's benefit uh, it's about time i started doing something for my own and uh, by that i mean uh, you know setting up my own facility uh, uh, and being able to extend that to the audio community um, and you know the kind of person that I am. I'm not just going to set up any old facility just to make it run. Uh, I, I don't stand by those kind of principles. Uh, and that's exactly what I've spoken about in my earlier videos. Um, it'll be grade A, class A. Uh, <clears throat> it might not be the largest of facilities, but whatever it will be, it'll be it'll be great it'll be kick-ass it'll be top grade top of the line stuff and which will be open to everybody to use uh, at very very reasonable rates and uh, uh, just bring up the level as to uh, and uh, and raise the playing field raise the bar for what audio excellence uh, needs to achieve here in this country uh, i might die uh, uh, not achieving that but at least i know i would have tried Cheers, cheers to that and uh, yeah please remember Sudipod is always there at your service oh man I, I I wouldn't be here without you know the support of guys like you Adi honestly and I mean that uh, very very sincerely it's not just trying to be uh, complimentary for just for the sake of it uh, I mean that from the bottom of my heart I truly understand that and I really appreciate and Chandra it was lovely talking to you and finally after eight years of chasing you every yeah. month we got to do a video with you. Yes, we did. We did. So, and, and it's turned out really good, I think. Well, I hope so. I hope yeah. so. All right. And here's wishing you all the very best in your future endeavors. And uh, I hope Thank to see you in soon in person. Thank you, Adi. God bless, man. Thank God. you. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. Take care. Yes. Thank bye. you. Bye. Bye.